cold open question for Friday's episode of the Just Basketball Show, Chris Manning. Today is the 132nd anniversary of the sport of basketball, and I believe the United Nations deemed it World Basketball Day in the past couple of years. The great Ariel Chambers of Bleacher Report and uh, Highlight Her posed the question online today that I will pose to you. What is your favorite basketball memory? This could be something you participated in, something you watched, something you felt. What is your favorite memory around this wonderful game? I will give you two answers, one sentimental and one that I think is funny. Number one, the sentimental okay. one, Game 7, 2016. I got to watch that with my dad. I just graduated from college. It was Father's Day. So I, I'm watching that game at my parents' house with my dad. Just one of the craziest games you'll ever see in your life. You could go and watch the last several minutes of that game on YouTube today on the NBA's account, and it holds up. It absolutely holds up. The tension holds up. I think that's even true if you're not a Clevelander. Just LeBron, the shot, the style, like all of it is is incredible, and I'll never forget watching it with my dad. The best thing I've ever watched with my dad. The funny answer is the first, I think the first finals I covered uh, I was standing outside listening to Kevin Durant talk when he was with the Warriors in Cleveland, obviously. And Kendrick Perkins walks by and just flips Kevin Durant two birds as he's like walking by, just like very aggressively decided he needed to flick off Kevin Durant as he's walking out of the arena that night. And I watched uh, uh, one of the local guys like chase down Perk to talk to him about it, like find him in the carport and be like, Perk, why'd you flick off KD as you're just like walking by? Why'd you just like drive by him with middle fingers at his press conference? So those are the two that came to mind when, when you when we decided to do this. My NBA team has only made the finals once in my life, and that was two years ago, two and a half years ago now, when the Phoenix Suns played the Milwaukee Bucks. But I'm not going to pick an answer from that series. It will be from that run, though, which is game two of the Western Conference Finals, a game that I got to cover as well. And that was DeAndre Ayton, who is a complicated figure in recent Suns history, but at least on that night, the infamous value oop as it came to be known the the yes. inbounds pass from jay crowder where ayton catches it with very little time left on the clock straight into the basket for an alley oop and of course they're uh, they're wearing their valley jerseys so it became the valley oop that's mine uh, you can't beat the ones that are local do you you can't beat the ones that are that are if you fan fan worthy um i think can I, can I ask you one follow-up to this before we get into the main yeah. show? If you had to pick one that like sold you on basketball as the sport you were going to fall in love with, is there had do you have one from your childhood that maybe wasn't connected to your local team that that has stuck out to you in some way? I would say the thing that I kind of trace back is like the thing that got me crazy into basketball was actually the Chris Paul trade to the Clippers, mm. not not to the Suns. Of course, that'd be a little you were, weird. You, you, um, you were just really mad about David. Were you not like originally mad about David, how David Stern hosed the Lakers? I didn't really care where he went. It was just the whole saga and the fact that he then ended up on a team that was so historically irrelevant and bad and yet had some hope now and then obviously they ended up being pretty good with him it was just that whole confluence of events combined with that was around the time of the decision with lebron and it just felt like okay all of this is changing i gotta get on board and so i did that would be my answer but uh what about you kevin garnett anything is possible i just love kg He's always been a favorite, and seeing him win that way and just the yell, I thought that was just such a cool thing. And I, in that moment, at least bought into the Celtics lore, the Celtics energy. 
of some kind. That then that moment I was like, oh, the Boston Celtics, pretty cool. All right, happy birthday to the sport of basketball. Let's get to the show. Welcome into the Just Basketball for Fr- show for Friday, December 22nd. I am Brennan Clean. That over there is Chris Manning. We're back for the second show of the week. This is your twice-weekly dose of everything basketball. If you're finding us for the first time, follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe on YouTube. Give us five stars wherever you can. Follow us all across the social media world, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Most importantly, today's show brought to you by Thrive Fantasy, a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. If you sign up with the code JUSTBASKETBALL, Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. They have tons and tons of props every day. Throw a little money in, get it doubled, courtesy of our friends at Thrive. We are recording this one a little later than normal, Chris, and that means we get to talk about the games that just happened that are actually fresh on our mind, and we have two that we're going to focus on today. The Detroit Pistons losing their 25th game with the tying of the NBA record of 26 firmly in their sights now, as well as the Memphis Grizzlies earning a double-digit victory at home over the Indiana Pacers in Ja Morant's second game back and a second win with Ja in the lineup. Let's start with Detroit, though. Let's start with the uh, start with the downer. So they played the Utah Jazz, but not even the full Utah Jazz. This was also a home game for the Pistons. And the Jazz aren't good anyway. Like the Jazz are not yeah. like a good. They're not even like what they were last year. Like they're aggressively no. kind of mid. And on a lot of nights, even worse than that, they are eleven and eighteen. And tonight we're without Walker Kessler. Lowry Markkinen, maybe their two best players. Jordan Clarkson, maybe their third best player. And then Talon Horton-Tucker. So effectively, four guys who have started a lot of games for them the past couple years. The Pistons allowed two late offensive rebounds. This one was within reach. They could not get a rebound. They turn over the ball late in the game. The Jazz go up six, and at about a minute left, it fell over. It was over. And again, 25 straight L's for... The Detroit Pistons with a road game in Brooklyn that I'm sure they will not be favorites in coming up next for them on Saturday. We haven't covered this team a lot, Chris. I'm not sure how many of these 25 losses you've watched. I've checked in on some fourth quarters, but what are your observations from this just complete putrid, awful two months of basketball for this franchise that I think when we did the preview, you and I were at least like ready and expecting them to take a step forward. They are unequivocally the worst team in basketball, and I I didn't see that coming. They are negative. They have a point differential, Brendan, of negative 13.3. That's nearly two points worse than the Washington Wizards. Excuse me, that is over two points worse. That's nearly three points worse than the Washington Wizards. That is over two points worse than the Spurs, who are pretty bad. Yep. Compared to the Jazz, to the Jazz who we're talking about, the Jazz are almost like double as, like, the Jazz are bad. They're set in minus 7.6. The Detroit's like, what if we doubled that? 
What if we doubled how much we get outscored per 100 possessions? Like, what if we were just that bad? Nothing with this team works. Monty Williams just, I, I don't really understand, like, what he's supposed to be providing this team if, if this is the job that he's getting, this is the outcome he's getting. And Brendan, I think I start though with Cade because I still really like Cade. I still think that's a really good, there's a really good player in there. But you look at the numbers, you look at how he plays, you look at what is happening around him. It's not really breaking through for him in the way it is for other guys in his class, for other young guys in this league right now. You look at his numbers just kind of across the board. He's just like a so-so shooter. He's, so, he's below average at the rim for his position. He's hitting a good number of mid-range shots, which like great, but... The, the 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 spots on the floor you'd really like him to be zoning in on he's not doing great at even though he's taking a good amount of shots at the rim he doesn't take a ton of threes his turnover percentage is still really high which makes does make sense as a young guy in a bad team trying to create a yeah. bunch but it starts with him looking a little bit overmatched what he needs to do and then everything else trickles out from there there's little fun guys that work here and there there's guys i still really like on this team including kate including the thompson twin including i like jaden ivy let's free jaden ivy at some point but the, the overall construction of this team is just entirely overmatched and i don't like they're very much i think the record is 27 losses in a row for an nba team like, they could easily break that. I haven't looked at their schedule beyond that Brooklyn game, but it wouldn't shock me if they were in a week. It's like, hey, they got the 30 losses in a row. And then at that point, I think you might just need to have some mental. The games, by the way, are um, Nets twice in a row, one at home, one, in, one away, and then one at home. And then after that, it is the Boston Celtics. So very, very possible there are 20 yeah. losses by the time they, we, they're sharing at their last game of the calendar year. Yes, they are. Two losses away from their next tie, which includes your Cleveland Cavaliers and one of the intentionally losing Phil. Yeah, exactly. One of the intentionally losing Philadelphia 76ers teams. And uh, then there is another of the process Sixers teams awaiting them at 28. So you're you're right to catch us on that one. But um, yeah, I guess. Cade is hard to analyze for me. I'll admit that. I think yeah. when you talk about Monty, because I was talking, texting, or, or DMing with our preview buddy for this team, Kuka Heel, at maybe loss number like 15 uh, of this whole stretch, and asking like, it's what like is exactly... Now, yeah. yeah, exactly. One of the... Like, what, what is the exactly the issue with Monty Williams, right? Like, what is he doing to contribute to this? And... Cade was like, or Cade, Koo was like, you, it's just the lack of creativity, the stubbornness with certain guys. Obviously, the Jaden Ivey, like, arrested development, but intentionally to just hold him back this year and try to teach him some sort of lesson with playing time was not pretty. And just not putting combinations out there that are consistently going to work, especially once they got into this streak. And I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. It might sound very specific, but I think it's fair once you're in a situation like this to expect a coach to do everything it could possibly take to get out of it. And the more that time has gone on since we've watched, since I talked to him about that and we've continued to watch this team lose, I think that there are some indefensible aspects of what's going on, right? Like they... 
they got Bogdanovich back. They got Isaiah Livers back. Livers has been a disaster. He has not been the 40% shooter that he was last year, where I believe Koo picked him as the player we're going to be talking about by the end of the season. He has not been anywhere close to that. Alec Burks has not done much to affect this team. So there's some, some troubles there. But I still just look at some of the lineups that have worked, even with how ugly and awful this team is. When you are able to put competent combination of spacing and defense out there around Cade. There are still some lineups that would tell you the team can work. And even with Cade off, like Marcus Sasser, Jaden Ivey, Alec Burks, Joe Harris, Marvin Bagley is way in the positive over the course of 48 minutes. Marcus Sasser was out of this rotation for a point in time. James Wiseman yeah. continues to get spoon-fed minutes for reasons that I'm not sure of. At least Marvin Bagley's been productive, even if the defense is still bad and he's a pretty limited overall player. Like, to not uh, operate with a sense of urgency when you're borderline historically bad, I think that's that's what just, like, I cannot make sense of. This is beyond the time to be looking forward as, like, development and team building and everything else. This is like win a damn game. They are in the in a place that any franchise gets to and they rebuilds and they they just did what they did in the offseason and have built the way they did. And this is a kind of a nightmare scenario, Brendan. I mean you go back to twenty even if you just go back to twenty twenty and you look at how this team has been built. In this and how they've built through the draft and how they've gotten. I have all of days. it. I took notes okay. on all of this. I read a piece at the Athletic this week, and I just, I just, the 2020 draft is going to go down as like an, a weird one, obviously because of the pandemic and and everything. So like, um, that was a But like, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, and Isaiah Stewart is a wild thing to come out with in that draft. It's just yeah, like, none but, of the, like, one, like it's just one guy is not on your team and not very good. Not mm-hmm. really good in Atlanta. One guy is like clearly just not going to be a, a long-term contributor in the NBA and Killian Hayes. And the other guys, a Stewart is fine, but like, I've, like that's not a real, that that's just like a guy who's, he's just a guy. He's fine. And they, you know, certainly like hindsight is 20 to one, all of that stuff. And you know, team. Yeah. Killian Hayes. We can't pretend like they made some sort of grand mistake taking Killian Hayes. No, they took him at six. Correct. He was a guy that, you know, legitimate analysts were saying was a top five type of player in, like you said, what was a weird draft. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to crush them for that for that pick in a in a in a vacuum. But do you have it in front of you, or can I walk us through that twenty twenty offseason in general? Because it's even worse than yeah. oh, so than just the, okay, hammering so them for through, the draft. Yeah. Let's go. Let's yeah. go through the offseason too. So you mentioned Sadiq Bay. The trade that got them the rights to Sadiq Bay, or I, I think it may have been a draft night deal. Yeah. Luke Kennard. Bruce Brown, and they gave up a second-round pick to get Sadiq Bey and Rodney Magruder. That's something I think you can hammer them for in the moment. Like, that is, unless you just think Sadiq Bey is going to be, like, an all-star potential guy, which I don't 
think was really the read on him at the time even that's crazy you're trading Luke Kennard who you had already paid significant money to Bruce Brown who was better than people remember and started games for a playoff team in Detroit before he moved to Brooklyn uh to get to get Bay and uh, and Rodney Magruder who really didn't do much in the NBA beyond that they traded away Christian Wood along with a first and second round pick to Houston to get Isaiah Stewart yep so that's another giving up stuff so like the picks are one thing but they're giving assets away in order to take these players they made a good trade i think which was to send trevor ariza out for delon wright but then they got rid of Wright the next summer and that became Corey joseph and two second round picks terrible yeah and then that same offseason was when i'm sure all nba fans remember chris they gave mason plumley three years and 24 million dollars they gave a guaranteed contract to jaleel okafor and they gave jeremy grant three years and 60 million dollars which they then traded to portland who they then traded to portland for the pick that became jalen duran but even with that in context they also in that duran move if you remember it was that whole three team swap with the knicks and i believe the thunder where uh or the hornets maybe maybe four team where they had to take on like $10 million of dead salary of Kemba Walkers. So that's exactly where I homed in when I was thinking about what went wrong here, is that 2020 off season. I don't know what their direction was supposed to be there, Chris. I don't know what the goal necessarily was. They're simultaneously stacking up new rookies and vets and Mm It didn't exactly make sense, even from a sort of lineup standpoint, how all those guys would ever play together in a current or future part of that team. It basically just felt like a a new GM came in and said, I got to do stuff. Here's the stuff. Are you happy, Mr. Gores? Like, that's what it felt like to me, even in even in the moment and especially in hindsight. Yeah. And I think you're when you kind of just see how everything has gone since then. There nothing has really even added to what they were doing. I mean, they they decided not to keep Sadiq Bey. Which, like, fine, I get that. I don't know if I'd want to be the team paying Sadiq Bey's next contract, considering the amount of money he really wants, the stuff about his role that we've reportedly seen him kind of agitating for behind the scenes. But, like, everything is added up here. And I, I think there's also player development questions in all of this, too. You know, I... I John Bayline's working behind the scenes there. He, by all accounts, is like good and likes working with the young guys. But you're not getting a lot of results out of that. Um, you had Dwayne Casey there before this. And, like, what was Dwayne Casey... Like, what did he ultimately add? to that team because like, it's like a, a real question to me is like what was he getting out of those young guys for you then you bring in Monty Williams and you would know this better than me I don't know if that's like if Monty's exact strong suit is player development like that doesn't exactly I feel it, I think it is to a degree but but to the degree I also think he's a pretty stubborn guy yeah and yeah, is, I mean, this is this this situation. I think if you look back to 2020 and then you look at 2021, you look at 2022, and you look at now, stubbornness. You have this needs to be flexible. This needs to be creative. This needs to be about cultivating like long term value out of even just something out of what you have already made mistakes on, perhaps. Right? Like I think that's kind of where you're at with this. It's figuring out what can you actually get out of the mistakes you made the last couple of years, and if not, write it off. But they've kind of like. The way I, I read the 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 hire of Monty Williams is sort of doubling down on the the decisions they've made, 
that didn't really make any sense. Like that's what I think kind of confounds me about this. Is if you start making mistakes in 2020, they're still feeling now. And then the Monty Williams thing is the kind of coaching hire you make to elevate your organization to the next level. But like they're like something just like there's something off pretty clearly about how they the, the timing of trying to do that when this that maybe wasn't the right way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is that was an ownership hire over the head of a GM who has failed, right? I mean, who has, who has very bad taste in bigs for some reason. It's like a, who loves just accumulating centers for some reason, which also and make made sense. that entire set of mistakes yeah. in 2020 on top of that, right? Yeah. And like hasn't drafted well and every like just failed. So I think that's a pretty big issue to me is. It is just a, such a symptom or at least like an indicator to me of a broken franchise where the owner wants to make a splash or right the ship in some way, but doesn't necessarily have the recognition or the care to actually fully overhaul things. Maybe doesn't want to go through the process of hiring somebody else at the executive spot, doesn't want to pay the salary of the guy that they fire or spend what it takes to hire somebody new on top of that. Whatever the case may be, you bring the head coach in, but obviously he wasn't the hire of that GM. So that probably just compounds the mistakes that are... That are being made and and create and adds to a level of of miscommunication and and disorganization, and that is a perfectly understandable pathway to something like the Jaden Ivey saga, or yeah. you know Asar Thompson, where it's like he he's he's getting highlight reel plays every night, but is he somebody who necessarily like should have been playing? You know, I know there were injuries. It's all it's all like you said, just sort of added up together. Um, I guess they will get Monte Morris back at some point. I think he w- he will be a big part of this team. They clearly wanted another veteran ball handler, so Bogdanovich is finally back. Duran is still out. Morris is still uh, yet to play. Maybe when they're fully healthy, it'll look a little bit more coherent. But uh, it's it's pretty broken. Um, but Brennan, I was at the game where Bogdanovich was back or, or yeah. I was watching the game because I was in Detroit the way you would have thought like his return came back the way the announcers were talking about it and in the way like the, the fans and like the team reacted but you would have thought they were getting like prime Jordan <laughs> like what like and, and that to me speaks to just like how dire this is Bogdanovich is like a good player who a lot of good teams would take on their team right now I think the teams we primarily cover, the Cavs and Phoenix for you, if you could tell them you could just have him, they would be like, heck yeah. There's teams that would trade for him right now, I think, ultimately, depending on what the value is, but they would trade for him and add, use him as an additive piece for a playoff team. He is someone that is like being asked to just help make a team functional, and that's like the fact that that is kind of where their season's at, I think speaks to yeah. a lot of this. That the fact that there's this older guy who they didn't trade last year, who's been hurt, that they're not like, hey, can you just like... You think they're still getting two firsts for him, Chris? Uh, I think they might get two seconds uh, at this point. But like, you're you're betting on this guy who is, again, going to be 35 soon to just make your team functional. Like that, that's crazy that that is the vibe of someone like him coming in at this point. A guy who's been in league of 10 years, who's been hurt, who is almost 35 years old. That that in itself is just... Yeah. That's malpractice. That's absolutely malpractice. That's malpractice. 
And he has made the offense better, but the defense is so bad with him out there at age 35 coming off of an injury and just a you know long career at this point that well, and why, why he's, should he try he's not defense? making them better. Yeah, but I don't even know if he can play it. I mean, I, I think it's asking a lot of him to be to sure. even be like functional because, like you said, on a on a contender, he's probably like a seventh man, right? So yeah, uh, it, even even the role that he's sort of being asked to play as an undersized four in the modern NBA, it's like, hey, go guard Carl Anthony Towns, or you know, it's like, what? What are we doing here? So I don't know. I just look into the future. We saw we heard uh, sell the team chance tonight in the uh, Detroit arena. And, you know, they're going to get another high draft pick. They've cemented that for themselves. But I don't trust them to do the right thing with that pick. I mean, why would they? Why would anybody believe that, you know, uh, Ron Holland or whoever ends up um, here will, will develop in the right way, be part of a winning environment, or even have the same set of players and coaches and executives around with him beyond this upcoming summer. Like there is nothing to sort of grasp onto outside of hope that Cade turns it around, which I, I still believe he can because I think he he's just such a high floor player to me. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. It's Cade. And, and even then you look at the numbers and, and watch him play night tonight. It's not like you're feeling 100% that that's going to happen. So if you were if you were given overall organizational control over the Detroit Pistons, if you're made the czar of the Detroit Pistons right now, Brendan Clean, yeah, what's your first move? My first move is to well fire the general manager. Would you fire money? Because I think I'm firing um, money. I think I'm just. Like, I just I'm think, think I'm just eating the money. Yeah. Okay. I guess in a vacuum potentially, but. My problem with the money hire is the way it was done, going over the head of the executive who you're too afraid to fire, and the money. Um, uh-huh. That's those those two are my issues. I think he's a perfectly fine head coach. If they had just hired him and there was no hoopla around it, and it was the first hire of new general manager X, I don't think we would have we would have the same critiques. Even though he hasn't done a great job himself, so I, I guess. But it's probably not realistic that that's going to happen. If you could tell me there was a better coach, I'd take it. As far as the roster goes, um, I know on the Bill Simmons podcast this week, he brought up Isaiah Stewart as like a guy that could be better on a good team. I'm still a little questionable on, on what his defensive role ultimately is at the highest levels of, of NBA basketball, but I would get him off the books. You've already paid him. He's not really going to be part of the great next great Pistons team whenever, however many decades away we are from that, right? <laughs> um and then I would just start clearing house, you know, if if it if it means waiting out the Bagley contract and cutting him when it's about to be expiring. I believe he has more money after this season. I'm not positive, but cut him whenever that time comes. Uh, try to trade Bogdanovich for whatever you can. Clear everything out, basically, besides Cade, Duran, Ivy, Sasser, and Thompson. Those are the only five guys I think have anything going for them. Give me those five guys. Try to add reasonable parts around it that make sense and can grow together and hopefully get something out of those guys, but also be ready to move quickly if that goes down downhill too because uh those aren't exactly locks to be difference makers either so yeah it's ugly but there is young talent i guess that's the one thing to grasp onto if you're a pistons fan yeah i i think i want a head coach uh that is really built around um 
Cade and I think could just get more out of Cade. I don't know exactly who that is. I'm not going to tell you. I have the read on every young assistant in the league, but I just think I want a different energy. This, I think I've made this comp before on the show, but this feels just very Frank Reich in Carolina to me. This feels like you hired a veteran coach who knows what they're doing, and it's just absolutely blowing up in your face. And I don't think there's anything you can gain from holding on too far. I believe it looks like uh, Brendan Bagley has another year at 12.5 fully guaranteed yeah. this could be incorrect um i would also just no, like buy out, right. buy out joe harris tomorrow like who i keep forgetting it's on this team but just like just hey joe here's a bunch of your money you're already getting it anyway go go sign for a contender that like wants i mean to he be, didn't like, play tonight so and like he might just be like it might be kind set of, him free but it doesn't help the team no i just it's, think uh, in general just i think you just gotta just like play all the young guys you can give them a lot of minutes let them make even more mistakes and just like figure out like what you're gonna do from here, and I that it probably involves a high draft pick next year. I think that involves trying to get some assets on the fringes, and I think it probably also merits like noting that this is going to be a multi-year project. I don't think this is something that they can this like next year they're not going to be good again. The year after that, I don't know what they're going to look like exactly, but the odds of this team being good in the short term, Brendan, I think feel very very low. I think this is now. One of them, I think this has like a point of comparison to like the Wizards. Those are two different, those are two rebuilds that are in similar situations for different reasons. But how these two teams build and what they do, I think, is going to be real interesting to monitor over the next like three, four, or five years. Yeah, the Pistons have that paid, though. I mean, the Pistons have the guy who's theoretically supposed to be the one you tank for. It's not working with him right now. That's the thing. That's, that's, the, that's the biggest Okay, but the Wizards have Bilal Kulabali. How dare you disrespect so, Jordan Poole? Well, he's like 26 or yeah, whatever. I, so I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I hear you. I get you. But I think I'm, I'm being, I feel I'm a little... jest about Jordan Poole. I know you're saying it in jest about Jordan okay, Poole, which was you. why I was uh, keeping it moving. Okay. The thank you. Cade Cunningham part of this, I think I, I may be feeling a little bit more anchored to him because they sort of have no other choice. Um, they got the number yeah. one overall pick. You make it work with that guy. That's significantly ahead of a lot of bad teams you know um throughout nba history but we'll have to see where it goes let's get to the memphis grizzlies who welcomed john morant back this week after obviously being the subject of a lot of controversy and criticism and multiple suspensions throughout 2023 he has not played since last year's playoffs and came back this week and the memphis grizzlies won both of their games Chris and I watched both of those games, and I think it's a pretty fascinating inflection point for the Grizzlies. I want to tell everybody first before we get there, though, about Homage, an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that uses vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Click the link below in the show description to make your purchase, and a little bit of money from that purchase goes back to the Just Basketball Show. Do you have any thoughts, Chris, on the return in general, the environment around it, quotes that might have stood out to you before we get to the basketball, which was pretty exciting and obviously once again resulted in back-to-back victories? I think for me, I think it's just the energy that Morant... This is kind of, I think, tangentially related to the basketball part of this, but I just think that the the energy that job brings to this team and brings to the NBA. I just kind of think can't be understated in there. Even with 
if you have trepidations about him and and you feel uneasy about him and i I think so the weirdness about the the quotes that we've seen come out from his trial and all that stuff there's just an undeniable energy and excitement about him that very few players in league have and i think that's just where my brain has gone with this is seeing the reaction to this i mean number one i think the way he plays has clearly just put a bunch of new life into that franchise that wasn't there for the whole season up until now. No matter how well or not well, most or more often than not, things went for them. Like, job comes back, and it's there's a swagger that comes back to that team in that city. Secondly, mm-hmm. I was seeing you know tweets about like who was in attendance, and there's like Moneybag Yo, the like who's a very famous rapper was at that game, and a bunch of other Memphis rappers are at that game, and he just immediately he comes back. And it's the cultural phenomena is back, like almost like nothing happened to some degree. Like ultimately, I there's still some weirdness about it. I still think there, there's a lot we don't know and don't understand, and I I still would have some qualms about the the process. I would say about how this how we ultimately got here, but I think you look at the energy, you look at what this has kind of meant, and that in itself is very telling about Josh standing in the league as like a star and a person that people care about. I think that in itself is is quite an is a really probably the to me probably the most interesting angle about this in the short term yeah and not only his standing in the league as a star or any like any of that but to your point also the readiness to welcome him back the forgiveness really you know like i guess to tiptoe toward a little bit of a touchy area but like you know, you talk about like there's a lot of people out there that throw words like cancel out. What Ja was headed toward outside of his basketball contract, like that's kind of what that actually looks like, right? Like you lose sponsorships, you are like prevented from making money within your job. You're legally like you're you're suspended officially from like being a professional in your field, like that and and earned, right? Like. I, earned he he made mistakes you know i i agree with your point about the process of how we ended up here and whether it was all like was there a precedent for how this was handled on the nba level what are we owed as far as an explanation i think those are all questions that maybe you and i aren't the best people to to necessarily answer but he was headed toward a a pretty troubling space and if you compare the energy that you're describing which was noticeable and very positive to where things were at in april not really a lot has like noticeably or like in the public consciousness changed. You know, we didn't get videos of Ja in the therapy session that we could all scour and evaluate for ourselves. We sort of just are trusting that this thing has has gone right. And obviously I'm not naive enough to say that that's permanent. If he makes another mistake similarly, the league, the team, fans, everybody, it'll go right back to what it was. But I think it does speak to the fact that he's young, the level of forgiveness that people are are eager to have with him, and again, to your point, how much he means to this whole thing, and this whole thing meaning the league, uh, that it's like kind of a sigh of relief, it feels like, among all parties, that this guy made it back without another hiccup, looks physically like he's ready to go. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, the other part of it that I think I would say interested me, bigger picture can I, can I, kind of... Can I just say... Yeah. One last, one last thing. I don't know if you saw the Anscape piece that Mark Spears wrote. Mark Spears is a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. He's great. This piece is worth reading. The, the quotes from T. Morant in this story 
And I think some of the stuff that he writes with Ja later in the story about Ja saying he has receipts and he's playing uh, What More Can I Say by Jay-Z blaring from a speaker as he leaves the locker room. Yeah. There is a very classic sports star thing being crafted here by Morant and his, I would say, the Mm -hmm. Morant family that I, I understand. But it's you doubted me. It's creating motivation out of this. Like there is there is a big part of this that is going to end up being that thing. And that part to me feels like a little off. I'm not going to sit here and yeah. say that like I'm not going to not empathize with like them going through some stuff. But what I am saying is I think that's going to be like the silliest part of this whole thing is like inventing this narrative that the world's out to get you to some degree. I think we're very bad in sports at differentiating what a comeback is, right? Yes. Like no matter what the circumstance, it gets piled into the same kind of like cliches of adversity and, you know, doubt and those things that athletes use to motivate themselves. It just all gets kind of put in that little bin. We put a lid on it and we just label it with those words and it stops mattering what that was as yep. long as you overcome it, right? Like, Again, to wade into some things that are not similar, but I'm making the point that they aren't similar. Miles Bridges, right? All of his teammates, adversity. He's been through a lot. That was self-inflicted. He actually did things to other people, but we want to call that adversity and we want to talk about capital O overcoming it, right? And so it's obviously not in that lane. It is not the same crime or the same... Uh, issue that Jaw is going through. I clearly know that, but I think you're right to point out that there is such an eagerness with a lot of these stories to just kind of jump back into it and turn it into a, a positive narrative around somebody and, and forget that, again, he put himself in this situation. He did not get hurt. You know, he did not uh, get get traded or something that, you know, is sort of out of his control and, and related to the Memphis Grizzlies. This was Jaws' mistakes that he is hopefully put behind him and and made peace with and and sort of grown from i we all hope that but you know i i agree it's a little bit funny that we we make it this very big arc of something when it's actually yeah. pretty pretty clear what it is but the point that i was going to make was derrick rose about derrick rose he's kind of doing what i think we all thought he was signed to do he, he basically escorted, I don't know if you saw this video of Ja entering the Pelicans arena, the Smoothie King Center on Tuesday. Yeah. Right next to him. Guys don't yep. enter the arena together, right? Like we, no. we've covered games. We all see the tunnel videos of the outfits and the this and that every night on social media. That's not what happens. Guys don't warm up at the same time. Pre-game, they are very in their own world doing their own thing as they get ready to play basketball. There's a whole hierarchy to who shows up when and everything else. A guy that's getting DNPs does not show up with the guy who's the star of the team, right? They did that on purpose. And then pregame today on Thursday night at home, Derrick Rose gave a speech pregame to the crowd about how yeah, this. appreciative and excited they all were to have Ja back, that he hoped that the crowd welcomed him and was excited to get him. And so, you know, I would imagine whether that's 
arena operations, the front office, team PR, whatever. Derrick Rose had to ask somebody to do that. Kind of had to get or, approval. I or, doubt he just went and stole the microphone or, away from somebody, and they all approved or like that. They, or like they pitched it to him to some degree. Like they could just like yeah. I, we don't know, but like there's something there that is. I mean, it's clearly crafted in some way. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I suspect there's a little bit of column A column B with yeah. that and I think I think Brendan to your point I think this certainly makes it feel like I mean this whole job thing has felt very rehearsed him coming back has felt rehearsed and like they had several months to think about the PR aspect of it which that's just the era of sport we're in I, I think the era of getting fully authentic things, especially in a league and with players as com- with as much commercially at stake as John Morant, I think we're kind of past the era of these things being really authentic. We talked about this with Harden like in years past Harden goes to someone at Sports Illustrated or ESPN or wherever and has a glowing profile written about him about what he's doing in the summer. Same thing with John Morant this summer. If this had all been going on in a different era, someone's hanging out with him for a week and telling you about how he's changed and you're getting a, a spin and you're but you're, you're still getting actual insight now there's yeah. just like a wall up and it's a PR spin and you're just you're, you said it I think best before take our word for it that this is fine now and that you can be excited about John Moran again. That's just where we're at with this better or worse. Well, the one thing that is authentic is his play on the court and it's been pretty spectacular. Um, I I said before, physically, it looks like he did not miss much time at all. Like this could have been and actually forget opening night. This could have been like, actual december 21st for him if you had if you hadn't told me he just missed a bunch of time with all this controversy and strife so that's been excellent Uh, i have three numbers for you to illustrate the john morant effect on this team outside of two that's one number which is again the wins this week and they needed those their offensive rating on tuesday night when he returned for the first time he scored 34 35 hit the game-winning shot, bunch of offensive rebounds, 119.8. Their offensive rating tonight against the Pacers in a game that they also won, 117.3. Chris, their offensive rating for the season, 107.2. Brett, I can take you a step further in this. Can you can you tell me the last time that the, the, the Memphis Grizzlies had an offensive rating above league average if you had told me they haven't done that all year i would believe you they've actually done it more than i would have thought they've done it uh four times the last time was december 1st the previous times they did it against the spurs which not hard i guess did against the lakers in a loss at la and they did it um against the jazz so two bad teams and then this one they did against the the Dallas Mavericks, who are you know maybe not the most often defensively inclined team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think you pointed it out at the beginning, and you were kind of dis- distinct- distinguishing between on and off court. But I think you were saying at the same time on court you feel it too, right? The energy, mm-hmm. and he's just able to do things that are more dynamic than anybody else on this team. And it's kind of funny too. I was thinking like we have had this impression when we were evaluating Memphis as a contender for the past three seasons or whatever of them being like an inconsistent half court offense, a team with questions on that side of the ball when it came to postseason time. And it's like, boy, did we not even know what it could look like if you took that dude out of the equation? You know, yeah. the Memphis broadcast was pointing out 
the lob dunks that Zaire Williams was getting and some of the open threes that this team generated. They went 16 of 35 against Indiana. All of that was just a complete slog without him. And so it's obviously not a surprise to list out those numbers, but it's just the perspective of of how much of a grind scoring was for this team and how much easier it now becomes with their star player back and a player that, frankly, they just didn't even have a replacement for. Like, they didn't even... There's no other point guard really on this roster. So they, like, they had nothing to work with, and now it's like everything just clicks into place. What can I... Before we kind of transition fully going forward, did you feel like you learned anything of note about anyone on this team before while job was gone we haven't really talked about them I, you know yeah. they've had some injury stuff there's a lot of guys out obviously most notably marcus smart but is there anyone you feel like you've watched and learned something about one way or the other while jaw has been away yeah desmond bain took every that possible yeah. advantage of this absence Desmond Bain turned into a a bona fide star with john morant out and it, and it began last year when he was um, playing alongside Morant for part of the season. But you just look at his numbers now, and he's he was an older rookie, but he's continued to grow into his prime. He's in year four now, just signed that max extension that people were not super thrilled about, but he's making them look a little bit silly. 47% uh, from, from the field, 38% from three. But the biggest thing to me is five assists per game. And I tweeted a clip back-to-back of in the first quarter against New Orleans on Tuesday. He and Ja made the same cross-court flip pass to the corner for Santi Aldama to make a three off of the same exact set. They ran it once with Bain. They ran it once with Ja handling the ball. Both of them were able to make that read, have the physical ability to make that pass, and have the defense bend toward them in a way that it even opened up in the first place. And like, that's just one play, but they have two legitimate offensive playmakers now. And that has not been the case for this team to have both of them at their peak because Bain was... You know, in his second season, the last time this this group had a a, a sane, you know, uh, coherent <laughs> roster and and rotation and situation come postseason time in 2022. So I think that's that's huge. Like this guy is legit now, and and watching what they can do together with the multifaceted abilities that they both now have is going to be really fun. Even if they have a long way to climb to get to anything close to what they've been in the past. Yeah, just a couple numbers on Bain. Assist percentage higher than it's ever been, 25.7%. That's a really great number. Uh, assist user ratio, career best. Turnover percentage only gone up a little bit, but you would expect it to considering he is nearly at 30% usage on the year in, in heavy mm-hmm. minutes for, for this team. So he's, he's hit your, to your point, he's handled it incredibly well. He's been... The biggest number to done, me is yeah. that he's shooting 69, aside from the assist, he's shooting 69% at the rim. Nice. Thanks. This guy is 6'5", and like that feels feels a little uh, gracious, right? Like, yeah. He, he's, yeah and and he's, he's not... Five. Yeah, me neither. You see him and Josh stand next to each other. It's like, all right, maybe an inch. Mm-hmm. but um, And he's not like a crazy athlete, right? Like he's not going to mm-hmm. leap over you and, and smash a dunk on your head by any means. So to be able to finish like that signals a level of just understanding of his own abilities and his own game and craft and the respect that you have to give him at all the other parts of the court uh, and the passing that he's able to kind of open that that up for himself despite the physical disadvantages. I mean, am I crazy to say, like, if they weren't so bad this year, 
I mean, he, he might get all-star consideration anyway. Like, he's been that good. Yeah, and I think he should. And I think also if you look at it as if there's on the flip side of that, someone who's been a little frustrating, it'd be Jaron Jackson Jr. who just hasn't stepped up to fill an offensive void really at all in a meaningful way for the year. Um, yeah. Bain has. Jackson hasn't. There are structural reasons for that, I think. And there's more to it than just one guy did, one guy didn't. But at the end of the day, one guy did it and one guy did it. And now Jazz back. And I think that should make Jackson better. I think they'll get to a place where like Jackson probably just gets a little bit better and maybe yeah. he can improve a little bit, but he there's there's certainly a level he can get to just by getting job back and getting spoon fed easier looks. Yeah, I think that brings me to the other thing. I mean and and Jaron to be fair, like he upped his usage to twenty eight, which is by far a career high. He actually has lowered his turnovers despite having those more opportunities yep. getting to the line a little more and his efficiency overall took a little bit of a hit but i would say most of that's from three um you know i, I know it's a little bit from two as well but it feels like shooting 31 percent from three is probably the biggest hole you would poke in what he's doing right now um i and there have been a lot of nights where jaron has had huge point totals right so i i feel probably the same as i did but i i wouldn't say I feel worse and that's probably a good place to be to just have a whole year of the calendar pretty much wiped clean for your franchise and have your two other stars stay at least equal if not better but I feel watching this team and we can talk about if they can get to the play-in or something like that I think that's an interesting question to at least approach here but it feels like this season and probably in the future too, the destiny of this team is to just have Jaron at the five. And yeah. and now that you have Ja as the head of the snake for an offensive attack like that, it's time to just see what it is. Like, I watched the Bismack Biombo experience the past two years. He's not a starting caliber NBA center in the play, in the playoffs or in meaningful games or for great teams. It's not. He's just not. Um, his, his offensive game is too limited. His defensive game is too limited, frankly. He's steady. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but that's what it is. We know that the injuries are there to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. But if this team has aspirations to win this year, try to get back to the playoffs, and then in the future be the best version of itself, that, that change probably just has to happen now. Um, unfortunately, I looked this up and then misplaced the number. I believe the offensive rating with Jaron on and no other bigs is like... Or the sorry, the net rating is like minus nine point eight or something like that this season. Um, it's it, it has not worked. Do you think it can work with Ja? Do you think we're there, or do you think that they're in a situation from what we saw at FIBA, what we've seen in Jaron's career so far, that they probably will always have to be making adjustments to their roster in order to kind of like Anthony Davis, right? Have other options at that big man spot. What do you think? I think. The FIBA stuff in the past history gives me concern that you're just not going to be able to do that, even if I think that is ultimately the best case for them in a lot of ways structurally to put the best players on the floor, to get the most spacing on the floor, to play maybe at a faster tempo in that way. Yeah. I think that's part of it, too. I mean, I mean, I could see a really, a really fun world where they just – it's like – especially when Smart is back and it's just Josh, Smart, Bane, Jaron – and then pick your fourth guy, pick a shooter who's feeling on a hot night, whatever, and you're just going, and you're just playing really yeah. fast, and you're up-tempo, and you're, you're Jaren's a defensive switching monster and doing a ton for you in that way, and he's getting easy dunks that way. That's A, harder to do in the playoffs. We know that. And two, 
the rebounding part gets tricky. His foul trouble can still be a problem. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a look I think you'd want to see more of. I think particularly while you're in this no Stephen Adams space and all of that. So I, I I'm with you. I'm with you that I'd want to see it, and I do think there's a there's a version of this team that the best version of this team does see him at the five. Yeah, I'm skeptical that that it is the most feasible thing, and what wouldn't come with some severe growing pains. Yeah, and I think it would, right? And that's kind of the the fork that I was trying to hit there that I ended up turning into a question for you. But the point is, like, this year can kind of be that served up on a platter in a way, right? Like, figure it out. Now's the time. Like, I know Bismack Biombo was integral to keeping you afloat and allowing you to defend while Jaw was out, but now Jaw's not out. So use the opportunity of Adams and Clark being out to see if it can happen. Uh, you mentioned the fouls. Credit to Jaron. First season of his career, below six fouls per 100 possessions. Round of applause. He has now uh, gone below, fouling out each game on average. Um, but the other guy, the fifth guy, and they'll get Luke Kennard back. So he's an option there, right? But I think that's an interesting other aspect of this, Chris, is... You mentioned just pick somebody. They have they, The other thing that has happened during this start to the year without Morant in the lineup is Vince Williams has has kind of broken out as much as yep. anybody can break out when they're like a fifth starter. But he has cemented himself as clearly the best option of, of that group of young guys. I think he's a little bit out of position in a way because he's only 6'4". So it's setting yourself up to be pretty undersized. If he's kind of your fifth guy with Smart, Morant, and and Bain, like nobody's bigger than 6'6", besides Jaron in a lineup like that. But he's proven himself. He's acquitted himself well. I think he brings an intensity and physicality defensively that helps him play bigger than his size. Um, But beyond that, what's interesting to me about this stretch and watching Memphis this week for the first time, and they played the Suns twice in about a couple weeks. So I saw them a little bit in November, but... Taylor Jenkins has basically said, F them kids. Like, we spent a whole bunch of time when we did a a rest in peace show for Memphis early in the season talking about their draft track record and how it was failing them. They just said, screw that. Like, we're going to be playing John Conchard. (laughs) We're going to be playing uh, Xavier Tillman. You know, we're going to give Zaire Williams spot minutes. David Roddy spot minutes and Santi Aldama has taken a step forward for them. I think coming off a nice run with Spain and that's their rotation. And obviously the coach's job is to win games. That's always going to be how he leans, but I guess it just puts even more pressure on what they currently have to work because there is no reinforcements coming. And as far as the cheaper younger guys go, unless they have an unforeseen breakout in year, you know, three, four of their career. And I think there is pressure to perform right now. I think there is pressure that Jaws back for them to to try to accomplish something now. And I think that is the trickiest part about this is there is time for development. I think every team needs to figure out development. But at a certain point, you kind of just got to play the guys who you think actually win you games right now. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure Memphis is front office. I'm sure their ownership. I'm sure the locker room isn't looking at a 7-19 and 19 record or 8-19. Eight and 19. I don't know which what there would be after 8-19. So eight nineteen, worse than Utah, worse than the Warriors, worse than the Suns, the Rockets, Lakers. Like, 
their path forward is not going to be easy. And I don't, I don't know how much room they feel like there is going to be to walk, maybe walk back to giving the kids time or trusting them fully to figure some stuff out or, or taking chances on guys at certain points. I think that's one of the delicate parts of the season now is, okay, if you want to make anything out of this year, you kind of just got to go for it. You kind of just have to throw everything to the fire yeah, and try to maximize what's in front of you. Like that's kind of the reality now. I think for for better or for worse, and I think unfortunately for some of the development of the young guys who might just need time to to make mistakes and, and figure stuff out. Well, they got twenty five games, and now it's over. Uh, and they were bad. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty bad. They have the tenth hardest remaining strength of schedule. They are six games out of the play in. Can they get there? Yes, but I wouldn't feel great about it. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I think there's just a lot of ground to make up. There's teams that are at the edge of the planet. I'm looking at your Phoenix Suns more than anyone, Brendan, that I just probably think will figure it out and stop being weird at a certain yeah. point and, and rise up. The, we know we know the Rockets have some limitations, but they're pretty good. The Clippers look good. The Kings, like all the teams above them look, and I don't think they're dropping back anytime soon. The Pelicans like look pretty good. They played they played a bad Cleveland team on Thursday, or, or banged up Cleveland team, I should say. Not outright bad, but look good without Zion. The Warriors, you yeah. just I, I can't I don't know what to make of the Warriors. Like to be to be frank. Well, that's about the this. thing, right? Is, but that's eleven. The Warriors want to get in. Yeah. The Grizzlies clearly want to get in. That means two teams have to fall. Who are they, right? And I think like you would probably circle Houston. And I think I would, as I've said a bunch of times now, advocate for Houston to be okay with taking that step back. But is ownership okay with it? Do they maybe buy more than we think they're, you know, they might, we think they're sellers. Could they buy? I don't know. And then the Pelicans. Perennially, you expect that there is a, a possibility that they could fall. I mean, they were the three seed this time last year. And ended up in the plant. So they've obviously made a a pattern out of, you know, between injuries and everything else, not maintaining that strong play that they've tended to have early in the season. So I guess I would probably circle Houston and New Orleans as the two teams who could slip, but that's a lot of ifs. And it's not like they're two games out knocking on the door. They have to play elite two seed last year pace basketball just to make it back to like you know 500 and in the mix so it's going to be really hard i think it'll contribute to the narrative stuff that we talked about at the beginning of all of this the chase and you know the doubt and can we get in there and prove everybody wrong and you know all that stuff will 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 follow them all season long but just numerically it's not going to be an easy task i think griffin uh, i always want to call him taylor griffin taylor jenkins has done an amazing job keeping the defense steady and I think that will continue I think it's just can job be this every night and can the other guys cobble together enough of a rotation to win you know two out of every three games that's kind of what they need to do time to advocate for a one-time switch to the east get NBA expansion now like that was uh, the Wizards? are you Tossing back to Wes's question on Tuesday that he stumped both, yeah. of, both of us with. Yeah. Uh, they could use that, I think. Yeah. Hey, would you like to play the Pistons, the Wizards, and the Hornets on a regular basis? Then uh, your chances of making the playoffs might be better than if you look at who you might be playing with the West. They actually have both of their games against Detroit left and three games against San Antonio left. So. Wow. Uh, <laughs> They're, uh, they, they can beat up on it. Like I said, they have the, it's the 10th most difficult, but that's also 
to me a little cloudy because yeah it factors in themselves not having to play themselves or not getting to but technically they're better i i don't really love strength of schedule i feel like it's everybody's kind of in the middle of the pack and and if if they were first or last i might buy it but otherwise i guess i just sort of think this team has been at the top of the standings for three years if they play like that it's in play you know i think they're better than houston right like i think they're better than new orleans so if if that plays out, they'll at least have a chance to get in there. They also just need luck. I mean, that's just the reality of it. They're just going to need something to break their way. And, like, you know, another team that I think could slide down if things do you know, injuries mount up. Kyrie's been out for a while is Dallas. You know, if Dallas just has an injury crisis or Kyrie does some Kyrie stuff and they slide back to some degree, maybe that's another team that gives you an opportunity. You know, I... That, that they're just going to need someone in front of them, probably two, three teams in front of them, to do to have instances where they take a step back. That's just the the reality for this team. They they need Draymond to like come back and just like still not be correct. They need Dylan Brooks to yeah. like miss a month with an injury or get suspended or something. Like they need luck in that way. That's really unfortunate for other teams, but gives them a window to make a real run. All right, rapid fire to end the show. What matters more? Give me your selection and why in a minute and we'll go out that way i know you prefer in these what matters more that they are tethered to uh the championship equity of different teams in the nba so i will hand it to you that way chris and you can tell me which one matters more to the ultimate fate of where the What's the trophy called? The Larry O'Brien Trophy ends up yeah. at the end of the NBA season. The Philadelphia 76ers lead the NBA with an 11.1 average point differential, plus 11.1 every night they are beating teams by. The Clippers, winners of... They lost tonight. Nine out of ten. They did not win their 10th <laughs> straight game. Yeah. And the Golden State Warriors winning three in a row with both Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney placed out of the starting lineup, benched by Steve Kerr. Which of those three things, when you look forward, matters the most in the grand scheme of the NBA? Here's the problem with this. This is what I'll say first. I just want to say that none of these leave me feeling like like a history of, of not being looking like an idiot in a month. You know, also, I picked three franchises, well, two franchises that are not necessarily worth betting on and one situation in Golden State that is doesn't feel great to bet on either. So I'm, I'm putting you in a hole here, but you got to pick one. Give me Philly. I'm, I'm feeling the Philly. I'm feeling the Philly energy. You know, Joel Embiid, top of the uh, the straw poll from Tim Bontem to DSPN for the MVP. That kind of surprised me, but I think he's played well 35 points him. per game. He's pretty good, Brendan. He's pretty good at basketball. He's pretty good. 13, I believe it's 13 straight games with 30 or more points or something like that. Um, Casual 50 piece the other night. Yeah. Against the Wolves. Insane. Against the best defense in the NBA. Yeah. And a a front court that is supposed to, you know, not allow that kind of thing. So, yeah, I... I I think it's Philly. Just to... to, I think their point differential is legit. I think there's a window in the East. I think like this maybe is a three-team race. Boston has some up and downs. Milwaukee, we've talked about them a lot. Embiid's awesome. Maxi's awesome. They have the flexibility to go make an additive move right now this season if they want to. I'm gonna buy Philly. I, and I also just like can't pick the Clippers in an earnest way until like I until I see them playing in the finals in June. Won't believe it's real. And even then, I'm not sure if I will. 
I'll pick the Clippers actually here just to give us a different answer. I think that they're not going to, of course, you know, win nine out of every 10 the rest of the season. And we talked about some of the statistical holes in their defensive resume with Wes on Tuesday. But I will say that the idea of James Harden as somebody who could alleviate pressure on the two stars on that team in the regular season has definitely come to fruition. They don't have to be great for that team to win. And they're playing every night. And those two indicators make me feel good that at the very least, if a similar type of setup continues for them, they'll be riding a high level of momentum heading into the playoffs for the first time since 2021, which was to me their best chance at winning a title in this era. So if that kind of again like structure can continue to work and these 10 games show us that they will i think that can really matter because them as a high seed with home court advantage healthy those are all the things we always would use as ifs about that team before Uh if those things aren't there anymore i'm gonna feel a lot better about them and they still have championship caliber talent so I'll go with the Clippers. But that will wrap us up for the week. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding the show. If you have not already, we do this twice a week, talking all things basketball. Follow us on all social media platforms, wherever you are. We are Twitter, X, TikTok, Facebook, although we posted once on there, I think, and Instagram. Catch us everywhere and catch us next week with more Just Basketball Show.